0: CHAPTER Eight OF THE HEART OF THE ANCIENT WOODS BY SIR CHARLES G. D. ROBERTS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN READ BY SANDRA, NEAR MONTREAL, 2022 AXE AND ANTLER The next winter went by in the main much like the former one, but more birds came to be fed as the season advanced because Miranda's fame had gone abroad amongst them. The snow was not so deep, The cold not so severe. No panther came again to claw at the roof by night, but there were certain events which made the season stand out sharply from all others in the eyes of both Kirsty and Miranda. Throughout December and January, Wapiti the buck, with two slim does accompanying him, would come and hang about the barn for several days at a time, nibbling at the scattered straw. With the two steers, star and bright, Wapiti was not on very good terms. They would sometimes thrust at him resentfully, whereupon he would jump aside as if on springs, stamp twice sharply with his polished forehoofs, and level at them the fourteen threatening spear points of his antlers. But the challenge never came to anything. As for the black and white cow, she seemed to admire Wapiti greatly, though he met her admiration with the most lofty indifference. One day Miranda let him and the two does lick some coarse salt out of a dish, after which enchanting experience all three would follow her straight up to the cabin door. They even took to following Kirsty about, which pleased and flattered her more than she would acknowledge to Miranda, and earned them many a cold buckwheat pancake. To them the cold pancakes, though leathery and tough, were a titbit of delight— but along in January they tore themselves away from such raptures and removed to other feeding grounds. Towards spring, to Miranda's great delight, she made acquaintance with Tentine, the splendid bull caribou whom she had just seen the winter before. He and his antlered cows were migrating southward by slow stages. They were getting tired of the dry moss and lichen of the barrens, which lay a week's journey northward from the clearing they began to crave the young shoots of willow and poplar that would now be bursting with sap along the more southerly streams. Looking from the window one morning before the cattle had been let out, Miranda saw Tentine emerge from the woods and start with long swinging strides across the open. His curiously flattened, leaf-like antlers lay back on a level with his shoulders, and his nose pointed straight before him. The position was just the one to enable him to go through the woods without getting his horns entangled. From the middle of his forehead projected at right angles to the rest of the antlers two broad, flat, palmated prongs, a curious enlargement of the central ones. His cows, whose antlers were little less splendid than his own, but lacking in the frontal projection, followed at his heels. In colour he was a very light, whitish drab, Quite unlike the warm brown of Wapiti's coat, in passing the barn, Tentiny caught sight of some tempting fodder and stopped to try it. Kirsty's straw proved very much to the taste of the whole herd. While they were feeding delightedly. Miranda stole out to make friends with them. She took as a tribute a few handfuls of the hen's buckwheat in a bright yellow bowl. As she approached, Tentiny lifted his fine head and eyed her curiously. Had it been the rutting season, he would no doubt have straightway challenged her to mortal combat, but now, unless he saw a wolf, a panther, or a lynx, he was good-tempered and inquisitive. This small creature looked harmless, and there was undoubtedly something quite remarkable about her. What was that shining thing which she held out in front of her, and what was that other very bright thing around her neck? He stopped feeding and watched her intently. His head held in an attitude of indecision just a little lower than his shoulders. The cows took a look also and felt curious, but were concerned rather to satisfy their hunger than their curiosity. They left the matter easily to Tentini. Miranda had learned many things already from her year among the folk of the wood. One of these things was that all the furtive folk dreaded and resented rough movement. Their manners were always beyond reproach. The fiercest of them moved ever with an aristocratic grace and poise. They knew the difference between swiftness and haste. All abruptness they abhorred. In lines of beauty they eluded their enemies. They killed in curves. She did not, therefore, attempt to go straight up and take Tentini's acquaintance by storm. She paused discreetly some dozen steps away held out the dish to him, and murmured her inarticulate soft persuasions. Not being versed in the caribou tongue, she trusted the tones of her voice to reveal her good intention. Seeing that she would come no nearer, Tentine's curiosity refused to be bogged. But he was dubious, very dubious. Like Wapiti he stamped when he was in doubt, but the hoofs he stamped with were much broader, larger, clumsier, less polished than Wapiti's, being formed for running over such soft surfaces as bogland and snow insufficiently packed, where Wapiti's trim feet would cut through like knives. Step by step he drew nearer. There was something in Miranda's clear gaze that gave him confidence. At length he was near enough to touch the yellow bowl with his flexible upper lip. He saw that the bowl contained something— He extended his muzzle over the rim and, to Miranda's surprise, blew into it. The grain flew in every direction, some of it sticking to his own moist lips. He drew back, a little startled. Then he licked his lips and he liked the taste. Back went his muzzle into the interesting bowl and, after sniffing again very gently, he licked up the whole contents. "'Oh, greedy!' exclaimed Miranda in tender rebuke and started back to the cabin to get him some more. Wouldn't Saunders be cross, she thought to herself, if he knew I was giving his buckwheat to the nice deer? Tentinet followed close behind her, sniffing inquisitively at the red ribbon on her neck. When Miranda went in for the buckwheat, he tried to enter with her, but his antlers had too much spread for the doorway. Kirsty, who was busy sweeping, looked up in amazement as the great head darkened her door. Trat the child, she exclaimed. She'll be bringing all the beasts of the wood in to live with us before long. She did not grudge Tentinny the few handfuls of buckwheat, however, though he blew half of it over the floor so that she had to sweep it up. When he had finished and perceived that no more was forthcoming, he backed off reluctantly from the door and began smelling around the window sill, pushing his curious nose tentatively against the glass. Now it chanced that all the way down from the barrens Tentinay and his little herd had been hungrily pursued, although they did not know it. Four of the great grey timber wolves were on their track. Savage but prudent, the wolves were unwilling to attack the herd, for they knew the caribou's fighting prowess, but they awaited a chance to cut off one of the cows and hunt her down alone. For days they had kept the trail, faring very scantly by the way, and now they were both ravenous and enraged. Emerging from the woods, they saw the five cows at feed by the barn, with tentine nowhere in sight. The opportunity was too rare a one to miss. They seized it. All four gaunt forms abreast, they came galloping across the snow in silence, their long grey snouts wrinkled, their white fangs uncovered their grey-and-white shoulders rising and falling in unison, their cloudy tails floating straight out behind them. Just in time the cows saw them coming. There was a half-second of motionless consternation. Then nimbly they sprang into a circle, hindquarters bunched together, leveled antlers all pointing outward. It was the accurate, inherited discipline of generations." Without a sound, save a deep, gasping breath, the wolves made their leap, striving to clear that bayonet hedge of horns. Two were hurled back, yelping. One brought a cow to her knees, half clear of the circle, his fangs in her neck, and would have finished her, but that her next neighbor prodded him so fiercely in the flank that he let go with a shrill snarl. But the fourth wolf found the weak point in the circle. The foolish young cow upon whom he sprang went wild at once with fright. She broke from the ring and fled. The next instant the wolf was at her throat. The moment he pulled her down, the other wolves sprang upon her. The rest of the cows, maintaining their position of defense, viewed her plight with considerable unconcern, doubtless holding that her folly was well served and that she was worth no better end but Tentine, who had suddenly taken in the situation, had other views about it. To him the foolish young cow was most important. With a shrill note of rage, half bleat, half bellow, he charged down to the rescue. The first wolf he struck was hurled against the corner of the barn and came limping back to the fray with no great enthusiasm. Upon the next he came down with both front feet fairly breaking the creature's back, "'Instantly the other two fastened upon his flanks, trying to pull him down, "'while he, bounding and rearing, strove heroically to shake them off "'in order to reach them with horns and hoofs. "'The bleeding cow, meanwhile, struggled to her feet "'and took refuge within the dauntless circle, "'which rather grudgingly opened to admit her. "'For this they must not be judged too harshly, "'for in caribou eyes she had committed the crime of crimes "'in breaking ranks and exposing the whole herd to destruction.' At this stage in the encounter, the valiant Tentine found himself in desperate straits, but help came from an unexpected quarter. A factor which the wolves had not allowed for was Kirsty Craig. At the first sight of them, Kirsty had been filled with silent rage. She had believed that wolves were quite extinct throughout all the neighboring forests, and now in their return she saw a perpetual menace. But at least they were scarce. She knew that. And on the instant, she resolved that this little pack should meet no milder fate than extermination. It's wolves. Don't you stir outside this door, she commanded grimly in that voice which Miranda never dreamed of disobeying. Miranda, trembling with excitement, her eyes wide and her cheeks white, climbed to the window and flattened her face against it. Kirsty rushed out, slamming the door. As she passed the chopping block, Kirsty snatched up her axe. Her fine face was set like iron. The black eyes blazed fury. It was a desperate venture to attack three maddened wolves with no ally to support her save a bull caribou. But Kirsty, as we have seen, was not a woman for half measures. The first sweep of that poised and practiced axe caught the nearest wolf just behind the four quarters and almost shore him in two. Thus suddenly freed on one side, Tentine wheeled like lightning to catch his other assailant, but the animal sprang back. In evading Tentine's horns, he almost fell over Kirsty, who, thus balked of her full deadly swing, just managed to fetch him a short stroke under the jaw with the flat of the blade. It was enough, however, to fell him for an instant, and that instant was enough for Tentini. Bounding into the air, the big caribou came down, with both sharp forehoofs like chisels, "'squarely on the middle of his adversary's ribs. "'The stroke was slaughterously decisive. "'Ribs of steel could not have endured it, "'and in a very few seconds the shape of bloody grey fur "'upon the snow bore scant resemblance to a wolf. "'The last of the pack, who had been lamed by Tentini's onslaught, "'had prudently drawn off when he saw Kirsty coming. "'Now he turned tail. Kirsty, determined that not one should escape, gave chase.' She could run, as can few women. She was bent on her grim purpose of extermination. At first the wolf's lameness hindered him, but just as he was about to turn at bay and fight dumbly to the death, after the manner of his kind, the effort which he had been making loosened the strained muscles, and he found his pace. Stretching himself out on his long gallop, he shot away from his pursuer as if she had been standing still. Kirsty stopped swung her axe, and hurled it after him with all her strength. It struck the mark. Had it struck true edge-on, it would have fulfilled her utmost intention, but it struck with the thick of the head, squarely upon the brute's rump. The blow sent him rolling, end over end, across the snow. He yelped with astonishment and terror, but recovering himself again in a second, he went bounding like a grey ball of fur over a brush heap, and vanished down the forest arches. When Kirsty turned round, she saw Miranda, white, pitiful, and bewildered in the doorway, while Tentinet and his cows, without waiting to thank her, were trotting away across the white fields, their muzzles thrust far forward, their antlers laid along their backs. From Tentine himself and from the wounded young cow, the blood dripped scarlet and steaming at every stride. End of chapter 8